Uh, so today we are at the uh, fancy uh, podcast arena station number five, Joe. Um, you, you have been wrangling operations for us today and uh, yesterday and getting us hooked up. So we're in a fancy uh, podcast booth and we have Jack Melnick from Polygon, newly from Polygon. Yeah, one month. Running uh, DeFi Biz Dev. Yeah, that's right. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, man. So first, quickly, give us that background we were talking about on you. Uh, I love, I love your, I love your roots. So let's start there. Yeah, of course. Um, as I was saying to these guys right before we hopped on, I have a little bit of a non-traditional background relative to a lot of the big tech founders in the space. And so, I was a philosophy major. Uh, from there, after college, went right onto Wall Street, where I spent a few years on the sell side. Uh, simultaneously doing all that was falling in love with markets, but becoming very disillusioned with the way that trad markets were running, especially in zero interest rate environments. It didn't make sense to me. I was getting really annoyed. Simultaneously uh, was really getting into DeFi because it was something that was familiar to me. Uh, I honestly didn't care about the blockchain element at the start. It was wow. more about like the permissionless the, the finance part, yeah. right? Being and, able to use these applications. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I had like this 80-20 uh, rule almost at first where it was like, I would try and find DeFi applications that were 80% familiar to my finance background and 20% new blockchain tech stuff that I needed to learn about. And I found that getting onboarded that way into what was very unfamiliar from a tech stack perspective was actually really successful. And so I spent about a year and a half, you know, working six to six on Wall Street, getting home six to midnight, researching and writing about DeFi. Uh, after about a year and a half of that, I, I got an offer to join the tie, which was a, a company doing the Bloomberg for crypto. Um, it was holistic on-chain and off-chain information, social media stuff, doing it in a very different way than a lot of the other big players in the space. And uh, saw that team grow from about 15 to 90 people over the course of the year wow. and a half. Yeah, I got to lead a very talented research team there. Um, and it was a great way to kind of transfer my, my trad institutional background into the digital institutional Makes space. Exactly. Uh, and That's who they were selling to, was institutional for their exactly, data? Exactly, 100%. Yeah, we, were, we had over 150 funds on the platform. Nice. Uh, exclusively funds. And love uh, it. Yeah, and so after, after that, um, I was falling more in love with DeFi every day, uh, had a chance to work with the great people over at Polygon, obviously one of the best in class BD teams in the space. And when everything lined up for me to join and, and lead the DeFi business development team, it was just too good of an opportunity to pass up a nice. DeFi yeah. dynamic like myself. That's very cool. When Joe and I, uh, you know, we, our, our show is a bit um, news and DGen stuff, but it's also a, a lot of kind of, hey, how founders get successful in this space. And, you know, Polygon's the shining light for how to, st how to build a company on BizDev. I often say that um, the marketing of, of crypto and DeFi is BizDev. Um, integrations, partnerships are critical. How did you go from, was it, was it from utilizing all the relationships you built doing research that you moved into BizDev? I mean, what, was that something you thought, you know what, I'm really great at building relationships and friendships. I think I should do BizDev. How did that kind of come about? Yeah, no, that's actually a great question because I think, uh, especially coming from traditional finance and coming from the sell side, I had seen the sell side research model uh, done over and over and over. And it was something that I was incredibly familiar with where... Ultimately, sell-side research is about writing research, but it's an equal part about developing fun relationships, being in the flow of information and discussion on the street, getting a sense of what people care about and where consensus is on various topics. And so my job was as much writing research as it was going out and talking about my research and hearing people's thoughts on it. Nice. And, uh, and so I was doing a lot of that, so I had great fun connections. And also beyond that, we had a few kind of token-focused products at the tie too, and so I was getting to spend time 
with uh, builders as well, helping them think through strategy, helping them think through how they reach uh, new audiences, stuff like that. Um, and the, the business development side at Polygon is honestly very kind of unique in that we are have one of the best BD teams in the space, but simultaneously it's less about uh, like end-to-end -end sales, right? Where it's like the second you get on Polygon, we're done, right? It's actually much higher level strategy focus a lot of the time where it's about forming these long-term kind of real partnerships with people in the space and helping them find organic product market fit over a, a longer period of time rather than just being like, hey, let's get you on, let's throw a little bit of money at you and like figure it out, right? And have fun, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so it's much more of a relationship-driven business and it's much more of a strategy-driven business where I spend a lot of time thinking about who are the different end-user verticals that we're trying to meet? How can we think about the different UX stacks that each of those people need? And how do I facilitate that across a variety of different people, nice. all of whom want to have different user experiences on chain? That's yeah. awesome. So obviously your background in research really gives you insights into how these integrations can happen, right? And, and we often say that. We often say it's not good enough to just say, hey, we're partners. It's like, what does this relationship look like? What does Polygon bring to protocol A? What does protocol A bring to Polygon? And then how are they going to interact? And then how do I make sure protocol A meets protocol Z that's been there for two years and protocol F and everything else, right? So, so you guys are really, and I think that's why you're successful, is the philosophy is let's build these relationships from the beginning to be ones that are ongoing instead of, hey, come on and we'll announce you, okay, checkbox. Yeah, I was going to say too that it's, it's interesting since we come from a research background, some of the best VCs I've seen um, come from that space because they know the domain, they can talk to the founders, they have the expertise. Um, it seems that that facilitates the relationship development side. And, you know, that, from my background in strategy consulting and VC and investment banking, that's the only way you get them done. If you just do it as a cookie cutter deals and try to take them down, there's no loyalty there. So, you know, to me, I think that's a, a good foundation for you and it's impressive. A hundred percent. And there are kind of like two things that you both touched on that I think are really important. The first is, Right, like even coming from the finance side and the buy side or the sell side, I had a lot of opportunity to stay in that space, but ultimately decided that even if I wanted to go back to the, to the buy side eventually, it makes a lot of sense having experience working directly with building teams to really get into the weeds on pain points and realize where the opportunity is. I think there's just, wow, too, nice. it's too easy to stay remote away from what's actually being done and, and lose track of like how you can really add value to teams. And I think the second thing that has kind of made Polygon really unique over the past two years is that uh, it went from you know, running a proof of stake side chain to now having some of like, the best up and coming tech in the space with ZK EVM. And so because you know, in that time period, in, it, during development, there were a lot of uh, really new advanced scaling solutions that came out, we had to kind of learn how to, how to be successful, not on the back of like, our tech as an end in itself, but rather how we can support teams more fully beyond just like providing them with nice. good tech. Nice. And so now it's kind of this mindset of like, we're going to try and have best in class tech to support whatever you need to do. But simultaneously, we also know how to take it one step beyond that. Right That's now. awesome. So um, in terms of the focus right now for you guys in the DeFi group, um, from a biz dev perspective, is the focus now, we want to onboard as many people as possible with purpose, obviously, to ZKEVM. I mean, that's really kind of where you guys are focusing and pushing from, from this point forward? Yeah, so the short answer is yes. The longer answer is it depends, right? Like ultimately we, like I said, are not just doing stuff blindly trying to force people onto what we consider best tech, right? right? If I'm talking to someone that 
is building an NFT project right now. You know, the ZK NF, ZK EVM NFT scene is going to be like pretty non-existent, right? right. And so I'm not just trying to force someone onto ZK EVM for the sake of doing it so I can check my box. I'm happy to tell them, no, it probably makes more sense for you to go on to proof of stake right now, right. develop a little bit of a proof of concept, and then gradually as we try and migrate this liquidity over from proof of stake to ZK EVM over a medium term time horizon, then you can decide when it makes sense for you to make the leap once the liquidity is there on the other side. Yeah. And so that's part of, uh, part of it. And then beyond that, like I said earlier, when we're thinking about different stacks, right? The way I'm kind of breaking it down mentally right now from a strategic perspective is there's three main audiences that we want to be targeting and each of them have different needs. And so making sure that we're doing it. And so those three verticals are basically retail slash wallet, right? The people that are like the interacting the most abstracted from what's actually going on. In the middle, there are DeFi power users who are probably the most PVP in that like there's kind of a fixed number of them and you compete for their wallet share very heavily. Uh, and then the last group, and, and sorry, and on the DeFi uh, power user side, right? Like they're the most willing to use multiple DApps, multiple chains, all of that sure. sort of stuff. Um, and so it's less about like building a, a perfectly composable, simple UX for them. And then the last one is like the institutional and tokenization market where Again, we do a ton of really good work, both on my team and especially like the institutional capital team with Colin Butler, in terms of uh, how are we tokenizing assets, helping asset managers and funds bring assets on chain. But at the same time, the big difference is, uh, is the supply side, as we've kind of seen historically, doesn't necessarily, like bringing assets on chain doesn't guarantee there's going to be demand for those assets on right, chain, right? Right, right, and, uh, yeah, I, I even did a talk here earlier on the DeFi stage this morning, and this is exactly one of the things I talked about, is like, what does the tokenization stack look like going forward? How can we be thoughtful about adding, uh, adding liquidity, about giving people the opportunity to, to lever up their tokenized assets, right? Like, you, you guys are both uh, ex-stratified ex to a degree, and so, right, like a credit fund in traditional finance on institutional grade credit is gonna be running like three to five times levered you can't run any leverage on chain. You have worse liquidity and you have a higher risk profile. Why would you ever buy it, right? <laughs> right. And so the only way we, we get to solve that is by facilitating the liquidity, facilitating the leverage, and facilitating the settlement and custody and execution as well, right? And so, and even stuff like FX swaps on chain, right? All of these like minor details that a lot of people are kind of losing in the shuffle of like, ah, we're getting tokens on chain, right? Like we're trying to be really focused in terms of who are we onboarding? Who do they work with in the ecosystem and how does it roll up into the broader stack? That's awesome. Quick, quick question. Go ahead, Joe. Did you have anything to do with the uh, Genomes DAO deal? Did you bring them on? No, I didn't. I, I, so like I said, I only joined a month ago, so oh, okay, I, I can't yeah. take credit from yeah, anything yeah. prior to like two weeks ago. Because that's uh, you have a strong background in life sciences, so the genomic data is, is always something that's a, lots of computes and lots of privacy applications. I'm curious, beyond life sciences, what other I mean, uh, vertical markets are you guys targeting? Yeah, no, I think like um, there's, a, there's a few main, especially on the financial side, that I think are particularly interesting, right? And so everyone's kind of initial gut thing is like, oh, let's bring equities on chain. Let's bring, um, let's bring PE on chain. I think that's actually the worst market to bring on chain um, mm -hmm. because it's the most liquid, has the best user experience in traditional finance, and there's the, the greatest hurdle to actually get people to move on chain unless they're retail uh, and don't have access to equity markets in the US. But if you're an right. institution globally, like you can figure it out. Yeah. Exactly. Um, on the other hand, right, you have a few really, really different markets, which I would say are credit swaps and derivatives, uh, all of which are still being operated out of like Excel sheets and Bloomberg chats, right? Yeah, right. And so the hurdle there for actually moving on chain from a UX perspective is much, much lower. 
And so when we're thinking about where the opportunity sets are, that's like one of the elements that we're thinking about. The second way we're kind of thinking about it is, um, what do you actually need to do on the infrastructure side to facilitate these things, right? And so when we're taking those three that I just talked about, credit swaps and derivatives, uh, swaps and derivatives both require significantly more and more complex liquidity provision than credit for the reason that if I'm going to be underwriting derivatives on chain, you almost, have to, almost always have to go with a standard RFQ model because for every strike and every expiration, you would need a different liquidity pool that you're matching against, right? right? That gets really complicated really fast. Whereas with credit, all you kind of need is a junior and a senior tranche, and then you're set, nice. right? And so the, the amount of overhead in terms of liquidity is, is much lower. And so when we're thinking about what are the verticals that we want to go after, it's not just this element of like um, what kind of feels intuitively like it, it should work on blockchain, but it's also like what is the, the current hurdle to actually get people to do this in significant enough volume to make it Right. Right. And, you know, something, something onboarding again. Yeah. Yeah. Something we've been talking about is is that, um, you know, a, a lot of protocols and a lot of chains are are basically, especially in that middle group that you talked about, the more sophisticated folks are basically cannibalizing this ecosystem, continually cannibalizing for the same money. Right. We're we're just tossing it back and forth over the fence, yeah. trying to get that same money. Do you guys really feel like your first best bet for and, and with your background, obviously, it, Ty, um, your first best bet for bringing on new money is kind of on that institutional side and making sure that the projects you bring in are going to fulfill that need. Is that how you're approaching it? I think that's uh, generally correct in that we're, we're, it's almost like a barbell approach where the, that like retail wallet infrastructure end and the institutional end is by far the easiest way to onboard significant new capital into the ecosystem. Right. I would kind of like caveat this in a few important ways. Like the first thing is you're absolutely right, right? From the outside looking in, when you see this DeFi power user market that's incredibly kind of uh, PVP right now, it really looks like, all right, these people say they're building the future of finance, but they're fighting over pennies in front of a steamroller half the time. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me, right? And right. so like participating too aggressively in that marketplace can actually be like uh, really negative from the outward perception of these other markets that we're trying to hit. Sure. But, that said, right, I get asked sometimes like, oh, why do we focus on dog pictures or why do we focus on these random DeFi protocols to like to facilitate this, this user base sometimes? And the really, really important point that I kind of bring up is all of this stuff that's, that's actually constructing these tech stacks is ultimately being built by the DeFi power users, right? Right. Yeah. Because they have the best. That's a good life. point. Yeah, and so you need to make sure that you're still creating an environment that is DeFi native, that is friendly, that is facilitating those sorts of user groups. And then rather than focus on the investing side, right, like on trying to get their liquidity, I care less about that. I care more about having those really DeFi native builders building on Polygon with the kind of implied understanding that we're going to be able to provide more on the supply and the demand side, ideally down the line than any other chain. Makes and sense. that's kind of the relative value proposition. That makes sense. That's interesting. Um, in terms of the protocols you're going after right now, um, are you guys kind of with the data that you're cross-referencing saying, okay, Protocol X that's not yet on Polygon has our sweet spot. Let's go out and recruit them. I mean, how are you guys approaching the whole process of this dev? Oh, yeah. So I'm happy you asked that. There's like two major categories that I bucket into here. The first are um, protocols that are one of one. Right, they're Polygon native. Let's say uh, they exist either just on Polygon or maybe Polygon and one other chain. Right. Right. And those are the the incremental reasons to go to Polygon in the first place. Right. That's actually onboarding the new incremental user 
And those sorts of relationships are, are very sticky. Right. Beyond that, the second major category is like this group of people that is, um, that is uh, the, the multi-chain platforms, right? right. And those are like the Uniswaps, Aves of the world where they're deployed on multiple chains. Ultimately, those applications aren't really bringing in a lot of incremental users, right? Because right. you can use them effectively anywhere. What they are really important for is making sure that when users get on Polygon, there is no reason for them to ever leave Polygon. Gotcha. And so it's really bucketed into, you know, there's like a, obviously a, I, I use like a ton of mental frameworks to help digest stuff in the space. But for me, it's like you exist in one of those two categories. And then depending on which category you in, we then bucket you into one of the other verticals and then try and figure out where you fit in, in terms of that stuff. Nice. Are, is your team responsible for recruiting new projects as well? Or are you focusing on existing established protocols? End to end, baby. Yeah. Nice. From, from inception all the way through partner relationship and management. Right, like we try and be one of the most hands-on um, partner teams, BD teams in the space, and that's part right. of why we we've seen good success is because like we genuinely care and are invested in making everyone succeed that wants to build on Polygon. That's nice. awesome. That's awesome. And look, I mean, um, it's not easy finding the new ones before they um, have made their decision, but it's certainly good to be in that spot. And I think you know um, Polygon as a whole is doing a lot from grants, working with incubators, all of that kind of thing, so that you guys can identify that pipeline right before it's we actually shut down our grant program. Months really? ago, believe it or not, yeah. Um, and the reason for that specifically is kind of twofold. The first is um, putting out, and this is kind of more my opinion than the opinion of Polygon, the company. I want to preface that, but um, <laughs> grant grant programs really kind of attract the wrong kind of builders sometimes. Where it's like, hey, I am building for the sake of getting this the grant, this grant, rather than like because it's something I really care about and have a strong opinion about. And so you end up with people that are sometimes, and not universally, like sometimes significantly less motivated on actually building what they're building, right? Right. And that's never like ideal if you're trying to develop a sustained relationship with a project and help them find organic product market fit. It's more just like, I'm paying you to build me something I maybe yeah. need right now. Right. It's like, uh, I, but I don't even necessarily see like any firm relationship come about. And are they going to stay with it? Are they going to keep yeah, building it? Exactly. Are they going to grow the community? Exactly. exactly. But even more so than that, the other th big thing we realized is um, one of our big advantages is actually now the fact that we don't do grants weirdly and the fact that our token is fully vested and we don't have an airdrop coming up where if you are in a bear market and you're thinking about the opportunity ca cost from a human capital, from a dev resourcing, all, this other, all these other perspectives, you want to make sure that you're building this tech on somewhere where you have like a pretty long time horizon in terms of chance to see success. Yeah. Right. And on some of these other chains, right, and this isn't, again, universally true. Some of them have great product market fit, great teams. But like what ends up happening sometimes is you'll get a brief spike in TVL as a result of incentives. And then the second incentives go away, it's like kind of game over. You haven't actually gotten any organic users, only like these mercenary users. Right. And, yeah. and it hasn't actually helped you succeed, right? And so for us, you know, we're kind of top two right now in terms of consistent organic user growth right now without these incentives. And so part of the pitch on my end is like, look, like we will be there to support you, not on like a three to six month time horizon, but like for however long you yeah. want to keep building, right? Like right. I'm going to help you find real users who like your product. Nice. I like that filter because like you said, you, you get the people who want to build the project because it's their passion. You don't have everybody going, oh, hey, we can get a grant from here. What can we build? Exactly. You know? And then that way that users or that developer, that builder is more committed long term to do all the things that you really want them to do. That's, that's pretty smart. I, I hadn't thought of it that way before, but that's, uh, 
you know, because everybody has grant programs now because they're all trying to attract users. Yeah. But you're like, hey, we already have the users. You know, bring us good projects. If you really are committed to build something good, come to Polygon. Yeah, we're it. looking for devs that want to bet on themselves, right? Nice. Yeah, we're looking for the devs who love what they do, who think that there's a real opportunity for them to find product market fit. And my, my pitch is basically like, look, if, if your product has product market fit and you believe in yourself, if it exists out there, I, I will help you find it. Nice. Yeah. Beautiful. Nice. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on, man. Thanks for dropping in for the last minute. Um, if new folks, existing protocols, et cetera, want to reach out to you guys, want to start getting engaged in the Polygon community, what's the best way for them to do that? Absolutely. I'm primary point of contact. If cool. you're in DeFi and you want to get involved, hear more about Polygon, uh, you can reach me either Twitter, at Jack Melnick, with an underscore at the end, or Got on it. Telegram, at Jack Melnick. Beautiful, man. We really, really appreciate you coming by. Thanks yeah, so right, much. Yeah. Thanks, awesome. Thanks, guys, for having well me. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Thanks.